Welcome to another edition of the City Business Festival 2023. Our on-air series, we are in our third week focusing on retail and consumer markets. We're also talking about production. So it's, it's a lot of things working together. Today, I want to look at the changing scene of the Ghanaian retail market. And my guest is no stranger to the business festival. Michael Koto is the lead partner of Confidence. And Confidence have been doing some very important work in the uh, various sectors that they operate. We know, for example, they do research and analytics, they do strategy and advisory, they do project implementation and project management, they also do evaluation and audits, and then they work in many markets. It's a diversified international advisory law firm supporting companies, governments, international organizations. Michael, have I represented your company well? Absolutely, Bernard. Thank you very much. You always do interesting work. I was looking on your website and saw some of the interesting insights you glean from Ghanaian consumer markets. So when we look at the Ghanaian consumer market within the retail space, how is it looking? What are your opening thoughts? Thank you very much, Bernard. And uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, to join the City Business Festival. You guys have sustained this program and, and every year you make it richer. And I, I want to congratulate all of you at CTFM, it's always a pleasure for us to, to join you from confidence. The subject matter for our discussion today, I think, is, is really interesting. Um, so the retail sector, uh, today, I mean, it's, uh, I'm going to be talking about, you know, uh, some findings from some recent work that we've been doing at confidence. And today I will talk about uh, what we've been trying to profile how the retail sector is evolving. And there are three main dimensions that are emerging. And, you know, this is going to take you through some of the interesting trends and dynamics that we're seeing. For the longest time, uh, the retail sector in Ghana was, of course, dominated by what we call the traditional retail sector. So you're talking of your Makolak, your corner shop, your community markets. Those have always been the dominant uh, retail segment in Ghana. Uh, and they're still very important. So we'll talk about them. The second segment we we'll talk about are the big supermarkets, which have been uh, a big growing phenomenon over the past decade. And the third uh, dimension that we, we've been studying that we'll talk about is online retail. So, so these are the three, traditional retail, the big supermarkets, and, uh, and online retail. And So, so will traditional retail include the corner shops, because you mentioned KJT and Makola, these are the big ones. Will this include the corner shops? Markets, all of them. Wonderful. And this will also include the hawkers on the streets. The hawkers on the streets, yeah. So that's traditional. And the second is the big supermarkets, the, the retail chains. And then the third one is the online, online retail. retail. Wonderful. So what have you noticed? So I'll, I'll start with the traditional uh, retail sector. The, it's, it's still the largest and the dominant segment because, of course, that's where majority of Ghanaians uh, shoppers buy their, their goods and services. And because we have a very large informal sector uh, to our economy, this is also a huge uh, employment uh, uh, sector for our economy. A lot of people are doing retailing businesses. So it's still the biggest and, and, and the, domin the most dominant segment uh, of our retail uh, sector. Now, over the past decade, there have been uh, interesting trends, especially with the big supermarkets and online, which are beginning to impact traditional retail. And uh, some of the assessments that uh, we have heard analysts make 
especially in the last decade, when we saw the rise of big supermarkets and online, uh, a lot of assumptions uh, that we've seen uh, market analysts uh, uh, make and predictions were that traditional retail was going to see a gradual decline because they were going to lose market share to online and the big supermarkets. And there's evidence that some of that has happened. But the, the, some of the recent studies we've done at Confidence, uh, it's beginning to suggest that uh, this assumption uh, that traditional retail was going to see a decline is a premature assessment. Uh, and there are two main reasons. Uh, the first one is that the sector is actually quite resilient. So what we've noticed is that it's not a zero-sum sort of competition between traditional retail and the other two uh, sectors that we look, subsectors that we're looking at. What's going on is, is that traditional retail is actually beginning to take advantage of online to extend its reach and reduce its cost of doing business, right? So that's a very interesting, interesting trend we're seeing. So there are a lot of people who have shops, they have the traditional uh, retail shops, but they're beginning to take advantage of online channels to extend their market reach to reach new market segments that they could previously not uh, not not access, and it is expanding their, their 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 markets and their market share. So that's happening. The second trend that we've noticed is that some of the segments in the traditional sector that were beginning to lose market share to the big supermarkets, for example, are beginning to recover their market share. And the main reason why they're beginning to recover their market share, and this is a trend that's began to pick up in the last year or so. And the main driver of this is because the GRA is beginning to pursue very aggressive taxation of the big supermarkets. And as a result of that, uh, a lot of consumers and a lot of buyers who are very price sensitive are beginning to move back to the traditional retail shops. So a lot of the big supermarkets used to have superior pricing for certain categories of products. But now that the GRA is pursuing aggressive taxation and forcing them to, uh, uh, to, to price uh, uh, taxes into their, into, their, into their retail pricing, it's, it's making them price uh, incompetitive. So a lot, of, a lot of buyers are beginning to move back into traditional retail. So traditional retail it's because a lot of it is informal and semi-formal, they enjoy some sort of tax arbitrage. So they have pricing advantages because a lot of, 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 of traditional retail is essentially zero tax or low tax uh, segment. And, and this is beginning to drive some consumers to move, uh, some consumers who have moved to big supermarkets to start moving back to, to, to traditional retail. So the resilience of traditional retail is being reinforced by some of these recent trends. And our position is that it's quite premature to begin to forecast that the rise of big supermarkets and online is going to lead to a decline of traditional retail. That's not what we're seeing in some of the recent uh, market studies that, that we are undertaking. So it's a very resilient sector. Is the, is the resilience product agnostic? And by that, I mean, you're doing this for general retail. You're not categorizing yet. 
the, the studies we've done so far have not categorized it to that uh, uh, fine detail in terms of you know different product segments. But there are some initial indications. So certain product segments have been resilient for the longest time. I mean, food staff, certain uh, fast moving consumers have consumables have always been cheaper in the traditional retail segments, right? There are certain uh, products that were much cheaper in the supermarkets that are becoming more expensive now in the supermarkets because of taxes. And, and we're still profiling to try to, to dig in and compare, you know, pricing and see exactly what these are. But the trend we've seen is that it's really across the board. And things as simple as bread. If, if you go to, to some of the big supermarkets, uh, you, you can buy a loaf of bread for as high as 25 cities, 30 cities. Um, it's, it's, you know, similar loaf of bread, you go to uh, your corner shop and you can buy it as low as 15 cities or even 10 cities. And, and a lot sometimes the, the price increase as a result of taxes are very high. So it's really across the board. Uh, but we it will be interesting to see in very fine detail how uh, uh, these uh, actually materialize across different product segments. Our view, I think the initial signals we're seeing is that it's really across the board. Um, to corroborate your point about the effect of tax, we were looking at the Bank of Ghana's latest economic data. And if you go to the segment on high, they call them like, um, let, let me give the, the right name for that. They call them high frequency indicators, economic indicators. They, they show the relationship between retail sales and domestic back collection between the beginning of January 2021 and May 2023. The, the slope of the VAT collection curve is very steep and is rising, but the retail uh, uh, graph is flat, suggesting, and in fact, the, the VAT spiked from the beginning of this year. So it, it tells you that there, there really is a tax effect on retail sales. But that also suggests to me that more of the, the big supermarkets are captured in this data than the, the informal because exactly. The, yes. Exactly. So retail overall is not necessarily dropping. Um, I think what's really good is a displacement uh, from the taxable retail sector to the non-taxable retail sector, and there's a lot of that going on. Um, so, so the, the, I think the data is fascinating, but my, my my comment on that would be that it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, retail, uh, the retail. Of course, there was a big inflation last year, so some of that is showing in the data. I think a lot of people slowed uh, consumers, you know, purchasing uh, uh, power dropped and retail sales naturally dropped. Um, but I think that was that's mostly a cyclical thing. And over the long run, it will rebound. Um, taxes, I think, will force a displacement from uh, the big supermarkets, which are easy to tax, to the largely informal traditional sector, which are, which are very difficult to tax. What, wonderful. So can we go to the next one? So you spoke about the traditional. Uh, yes. So. The, the big supermarkets have always fascinated me because that's where your work has been largely focused on. 
And I, I, I think your, your research has shown some very interesting trends. Just from a careful observation, I see some of them are expanding very rapidly. And I noticed, for example, that Melcom is doing different sizes of outlets now. So I see smaller outlets, I see big outlets, but there seems to be some renewed aggression within some of the brands. What are your observations about that sector? The really fascinating thing in the big supermarket sector is, is that if the big foreign players are, are leaving the markets and the, in, the local indigenous Ghanaian supermarkets are expanding, which is really fascinating. So game exited the market, Citidia has exited the market. And whilst all of this is happening, uh, the likes of Melcom and Palace are expanding aggressively. So it raises a lot of questions. Is it because uh, uh, the market is not growing fast enough? Uh, why, why were the big players leaving? I, I, what's really going on is that the big, the big foreign players imported a lot of foreign business models uh, into the Ghanaian retail sector. They failed to adapt to, to the local market fundamentals. And, uh, and, and as a result, uh, they've not been able to compete. Now, the local supermarkets, uh, on the other hand, have grown organically uh, with the markets. And, and that's the big differentiator. So, for example, a lot of these big foreign supermarkets came into the Ghanaian market on the basis of certain growth projections. There were certain assumptions that were made about uh, the rate of growth of the retail sector and the rate of you know, growth of the size of the middle class. There, there was a lot of that assumption that informed the influx of a lot of these big supermarkets. Over the course of time, it's clear that those expectations were out of sync with the market fundamentals in Ghana. And that the, 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 the competition that has really gotten it right is, is the likes of Melcom and Palace, uh, which are technically local Ghanaian players. So that's a big, big, big uh, 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 revelation. Now, you're, you're right, of course, Melcom and Palace have been expanding aggressively. I think what's going on is that they are consolidating their hold of the market territory. So as the foreign players exit, um, the, 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 it creates you know, more space in the markets. And I think a lot of them are thinking ahead and they're deciding to consolidate you know, their hold on the market. And I think that's good. Um, you, you, one of the interesting trends, the like of Melcom, and you, you did allude to that, is that they are they are rolling out this mini mini mart models. So it's almost like they, you know certain mini Melcoms. You take Melcom for example, there are these mini Melcoms uh, emerging, you know, uh, in various parts of the city uh, in Accra. Um, Bernard, I don't know if you remember, but. Uh, uh, Last year or two years ago, uh, when we spoke, I predicted that this was going to happen, and and that this this is a is a, is a strategy that they need to to pursue, and that's because a lot of Ghanaian shoppers are very comfortable with the corner shop model, mm -hmm. and there's a whole segment that you know just focuses on the corner shop, and if you're a big supermarket and you can scale down. Uh, and take your shops into the communities, you're breaking into a market segment that uh, you've been missing out on. And that's exactly what Malcolm is doing. And so it will be interesting to see how this trend, you know, uh, uh, picks up. But I think, I think 
what the likes of Malcolm and Co are doing are really fascinating. There's also China, which is in a very special category because we we know that a lot of small retail, small scale retailers, your likes of corner shops uh, uh, and the like, sometimes go to, to China Mall to go and 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 buy their products to go and resell in their small container shops. Now, this advantage uh, that China Mall has uh, may not last, you know, uh, uh, may not last long, and and. The main reason, again, is the way GRA is aggressively pursuing uh, uh, taxing these big supermarkets. So the, um, the, the, the China Mall's ability to continue to sell to retail at wholesale pricing, which is what allows them to serve as, you know, basically a platform for small uh, corner shops to go and buy and resell. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's an advantage that I don't I think is being eroded uh, by by GRA's aggressive you know tax drive. So it, that's an interesting space to watch. I'm not sure that they can continue to do that for for a very long time uh, if they have to do proper tax compliance. Um, but yes, the big story in the big supermarket sector is that the big foreigners are packing out and and the big local supermarkets are expanding. And, it, and it's a story that's really fascinating. Uh, and, and the main reason is that the locals have grown organically with the market. We wow. think that over the long run, the supermarkets will lose some market share back to traditional retail and probably to online. And again, it's all down to the tax issue. If GRA sustains the tax compliance drive, um, the supermarkets will increasingly lose a lot more market share and uh, it will be, we'd like to see how this whole dynamic evolves, say, over the next two, three years. This is our City Business Festival on-air series, and we're talking to Michael Koto, who is the lead consultant at uh, Confidence. We're looking at the changing scene of the Ghanaian retail market. Some very important insights have been the, put out the traditional retailers, the Mokolos, the corner shops, the, the Cantamantos, and the KJTS have been resilient, partly because they enjoy tax arbitrage. Second big story that the multinational uh, retail brands have packed out. CTDI is out, game is out. But the, the local ones are doing very well. Melcom, China Mall, and to an extent, Palace. When we come back, we'll look at what the e-commerce means for the retail space. Stay with us. Welcome back to our discussion on the changes in the retail market. My guest is Michael Koto. Michael. Very important insight raised in the first part. So your prediction is that if the tax efficiency from GRA continues, the advantage of the large supermarkets like Melcom and Palace and China Mall in particular would not last. Let's work our way to the third group, the, the online or e-commerce platforms. What are your observations? So online is really where the most exciting action is in, in Ghana's retail sector at the moment. And it's for a couple of reasons, and I'm going to go over them. I'll just very quickly say that, you know, when we say online, we're talking of three main um, segments to the online. There's your classic e-commerce, you know, online platform. So that's a, like a junior, right? That's a classic e-commerce platform. And then you have seller to buyer marketplaces. Um, seller to marketplace buyer places are, you know, platforms like Gigi, platforms like Pronaton when it was very prominent. They just connect buyers and sellers. And, you know, it's almost like classifieds, right? People can put their products there. You find someone who 
is interested in a product, and then the two of you can transact. And then there's the third segment of online, which is social media. And social media, uh, we all know, um, you know, your Facebook, your Instagram, WhatsApp, which are like the three most prominent ones. So there's a lot going on in these three sub online segments that are really fascinating. Now, um, before I, I would I would also add perhaps that there's uh, there's another segment which is that the big supermarkets some of them are rolling out online shops right so Malcolm and Palace have online shops, but I won't go too much into this because um, the, the level of activity is restricted because it's a closed system right it's a lot of the activity that is really related to their own it's just an online version of what they do offline so I, I'm really going to focus on classic e-commerce platforms and, and marketplaces and social media. So in the last decade, if you take um, uh, the e-commerce and, and, and you know, marketplace platforms, I think Tonaton and OLX were very prominent in the last decade, but if they've declined. The ones that we've seen really thriving now are the likes of Bluebo and Haptel and Jumia to some extent. And these are interesting. Um, Tonato and OLX declined mostly. I, th I think it was mostly due to the, you know, a lot of this was fraud. There was a lot of fraud being perpetrated on these sites and credibility and, you know, marketplace integrity was very low. So consumers lost confidence in these, in these marketplaces, collecting buys and sellers. Um, but what we're seeing is uh, the emergence of platforms that are trying to rectify this trust deficit which was a problem for Tonato and OLX and the rest. And we're seeing Junior, Global, Haptel and the rest are coming in with more integrated market platforms. And what I mean by integrated market platforms is what you used to have on Tonato was that it was just connecting buyers and sellers. Tonato didn't have any liability for whatever happened. You were on your own. If you saw a phone on Tonato and you wanted to buy it, um, it you were on your own. Tonato was just a place for you to come and just find a seller or a buyer. But the likes of Global and Haptel and Jumia are providing more integrated platforms. So they allow you to find something you want to buy or to, to display a product to sell. But they also have integrated payments and delivery logistics, which is that you're able to pay for the product through the platform's payment you know, uh, solutions. Um, and they also uh, have integrated you know, delivery logistics. So they deliver the product to you, right? And that's providing a lot more uh, uh, trust uh, in these e-commerce platforms. And a lot more people, uh, you know, who wouldn't have used Tonaton or OLX are now beginning to use uh, the likes of Logan and Haptel. And they are thriving. So the more integrated platforms are doing, they're doing relatively well uh, as, as compared to the, uh, the marketplaces that really you know connected you know sellers and buyers, so that's that's what's going on uh, with the e-commerce and marketplace platforms. Um, but the social media uh, is even more fascinating because Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp were not originally designed as e-commerce platforms. Uh, in Africa, where we have uh, historically lacked access to you know, conventional e-commerce platforms. We have sort of tailored, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp for uh, for online business to an extent that you don't see in some other parts of the world. So um, 
it's 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 a very interesting dynamic. Uh, it's mostly powered by you know mobile money. Uh, it's it's and, and powered by independent delivery logistics and complemented by Google Maps. You know you know and all of those uh, accessories that are allowing people to find you know buyers and uh, and sellers and transact business. But there are a few big implications of of, of the rise of online, and I want to quickly go over them. The first one is that it's, it's leading to a massive explosion in entrepreneurship, uh, self-employment, uh, and the rise of micro and small businesses. Now, the reasons this is going on, obviously, uh, number one is that a, you know online has a low-cost entry barrier. So instead of going to pay a five-year rent in an expensive macula shop or inside a mall that could cost you 100,000 cities and above, um, you set up a business on Facebook and you rather use that uh, money that you'd have used for rent as working capital to actually start running the business and sourcing products, right? And there's a lot of that. So low cost entry barrier and there's a massive explosion in entrepreneurship and self-employment you know, on these social media platforms. The second thing we're seeing is that we're seeing the, uh, the, the emergence of very smart, low-cost inventory management techniques mm -hmm. in, in, in the whole online retailing space. And by this, I, I mean that a lot of you know, businesses online, they, are not, uh, they don't have to invest in you know, inventory, warehouses, uh, and manage all of that, right? Mm -hmm. They are not stocking up. First of all, they don't have to buy up space to store, you know, to stock products. And they are not necessarily stocking up right inventory and then waiting for people to come to a shop to buy what a lot of them are doing is that they're advertising products they they are utilizing pre-order models so you order the product and then they they they, they source the product from wholesalers and deliver it to you so they don't really have to lock up a lot of working capital in inventory. Mm -hmm. so that's a very interesting thing that's going on now as a result of this the overall cost structure is much lower mm -hmm. and they're able to price more competitively and they have higher margins relatively mm -hmm. across the board. So social media especially uh, is, is, is exhibiting these very unique features. Now, in addition to these, the, the whole rise of online is also leading to the birth of a whole new category of support services, which were not mm -hmm. previously uh, part of the retail sector. The most important of these is the logistics and delivery business, which is booming. Mm -hmm. It's one of the fastest growing sectors mm -hmm. uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. and, and, and mind you that for the longest time, you know, what we call uh, uh, motorcycle taxis, you know, the mm -hmm. Okadas, Okada. tried to formalize themselves with lobbied government. It's, it hasn't worked, right? Some mm -hmm. of them operate, but they operate informally. But you see a lot of motorbikes doing delivery business all over the city. Yeah. The reason is because a lot of the young, you know, men who would have, who would have been doing Okada business, quote unquote, have found uh, uh, new businesses uh, mm -hmm. in delivery and uh, uh, and supporting, you know, online and e-commerce and all of that. So it's leading to a big boom in that in that in that segment. It's also leading to a big boom in another segment, which is payment service providers. Mm -hmm. so the fintechs that provide payments uh, services, you know, to these online platforms uh, are also booming, right? Um, but by far, Momo 
is the most in, is the most used payment solution uh, uh, across the board. But you know, other payment service providers are also doing very well. Some of the fintechs. These are these are segments that will not exist, but mm -hmm. for the fast growth in online retailing that we're seeing. There's another impact that online retailing is having, which is that it is changing the advertising industry. Um, we're beginning to see a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising. Mm -hmm. But what's more fascinating is the rise of influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. So influencer marketing is a segment that is dominated by celebrities. Mm -hmm. What we're noticing is that there is a new class of influencer marketers who are not necessarily celebrities, but they're people who have managed to position themselves online as content entrepreneurs who exist purely for the purposes of attracting traffic that they can leverage to attract retail advertising spend online. And these online uh, influencer marketers also represent a whole new job category, a whole new business category, category on their own, and they are changing the advertising industry, right? Another impact we're seeing is side gigs for working professionals. So there are a lot of working professionals who are sitting in their offices working, and they are doing retailing on, on the side, online, uh, during break time, you know, and when they close for break, they continue. And people are using those as side gigs to complement, uh, you know, their salaries and their sources of income. Um, these, on the domestic uh, level, are the various ways in which uh, online retail is is not merely transforming retail itself, but also impacting other support services and auxiliary sectors that depend on it. So it's a huge, fascinating phenomenon wow. that we. But I, 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 there is another, there's mm -hmm. another dimension mm -hmm. um, that I'll talk about very quickly, which is that, and this is really fascinating, that the, the, these small retailers online are also beginning to internationalize. Mm -hmm. So the rise of social media and online retailing is beginning to open up the global business to small and micro Ghanaian retailers. And that, I think, is probably the biggest part of the whole uh, story and because it has important implications for the country as a whole. I will walk you through some of the case studies that we've, we've, we've done. There's a beads seller in Accra. She does beads. And she started selling beads on, on social media, on, on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. As I speak to you now, within the last two years, she now sells in a shop in Cote d'Ivoire, and she sells a piece in a shop in France. And these are physical shops, outlets that she doesn't own, but she was contacted by shops in, in, in Cote d'Ivoire and in France that were interested in sourcing her products. And so now they have a very a thriving, you know, business partnership, and she's supplying products, you know, uh, to shops in Cote d'Ivoire and in France. In addition to this, she's still selling products and, and shipping products to individual buyers that still find her products online uh, and want to buy, right? That's number one. There's the second case of a seamstress also in Accra who has been exporting via social media. 
Now, when we talked to her and we studied what was really going on, what we noticed is that because she's now exporting her clothing, you know, uh, internationally, it is beginning to impact on her quality and on her standards. So what's going on is that the internationalization is leading to improvements in competitiveness of our local retailers, especially those who are into production. Because in clothing, if, if your competitors, um, all of a sudden you are competing with the likes of Zara or H&M and Mango, right? So what's happening, we've noticed when we studied her products, we noticed that she's changing her designs. She's now beginning to incorporate a lot of international designs and blending them with the Ghanaian style so that the, the product will be more competitive, you know, when she, she sells them abroad. And this is somebody who just sits, she sits at home. She doesn't even have a factory. She sits at home, she's sewing and selling and exporting online. What this tells us is that there's a huge underground export sector in Ghana at the moment for non-traditional exports, which we do not really understand because we have not studied it very well. And this is a potential. This is potentially a big deal for our uh, for the country's desire, you know, to diversify exports. I'll tell you why this is important. This is crucial because we've noticed, for example, that a lot of these uh, small-scale retailers who are beginning to ship their products abroad prefer not to uh, use formal a lot of formal channels. They prefer to use a lot of informal shipping channels. So um, you, you have a friend going abroad, you know, you, you convince them to, to, to take an extra luggage, right? You can put your stuff in it and it goes and, then, you know, they go and deliver it to someone, right? There's a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. And it's low costs, right? Because you don't have to do a lot of compliance and shipping expenses and, and export, you know, duties and all of that. So a lot of them are preparing to use these low-cost informal channels, which means that they prefer to, to do it on a small scale because it's, it's more optimal. However, for the country, it is not optimal because there's a huge potential here to scale up major exports. And, and so we need to study what's really going on in this huge underground export sector, a lot of micro-exporters, who are utilizing online and social media to begin to break into international markets. It's a fascinating phenomenon. And there are many, many, many dimensions to this. Some of them are, are increasingly formalizing when they get more demand. The good thing is that the likes of DHL are beginning to see the opportunity. So DHL, for example, is beginning to roll out a package for small and micro enterprises that want to export. And they are making it a lot easier and cheaper for them to do that. So that is good. But that's not enough. I think that as a country, we need a strategy to really study this big emerging underground exports, micro export sector, and come up with a strategy to see how we can enable them to scale. Because again, remember, as I said, for a lot of these micro exporters, it is optimal for them to say to stay small scale because they can mm -hmm. use small scale informal channels and they don't have to do a lot of compliance right. because it will help the country to find more export market destinations and diversify our, our export into non-traditional sectors. Michael, these are really fascinating insights and I wish you could continue exploring them, but thankfully Tuesday you'll be on the uh, TV panel to get 
further into this. So I thank you so much for speaking to us on the changing face of Ghanaian retail markets. Michael Koto is the lead consultant for Confidence. Actually, he'll be on the panel discussion tomorrow at 11 with Vivian and the others. Hopefully more insights. Michael, thank you for talking to us. Thank you. Always a pleasure. That's all we have time for for today's edition. Don't forget the City Business Festival is brought to you by CTFM, CTTV, partnership with APSA, with support from MTN Business, MTN Mobile Money, as well as ZPay and Gesa. We'll be with you next time. Bye-bye.